Let's pray. Lord, we praise you this morning and thank you for your word, your holy communication to us. Open up our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit that we might know you and love you more to the praise of your glorious grace. We can do the next one. All right. This might be a little different of a sermon this morning. We're going to take more of a, a wide look, of maybe a um, like look down airplane view of some scripture texts. This morning, I want to talk about storms, both two real biblical storms and the storms of life that we all face. The Bible often compares storms to troubles, difficulties and sufferings in one's life. It has been said we are either entering a storm in a storm right now or coming out of one. Jesus tells us that in the world we will have trouble. We will have storms. This morning, I want to compare and contrast the literal storms that occurred in the lives of Jonah and the sailors in the Old Testament book of Jonah with a literal storm that occurred with Jesus and his disciples in the New Testament from the book of Mark, what we just read. So keep that in mind. Why do I want to compare these two biblical stories? I'm glad you asked. First, I want to magnify and glorify Christ in his gospel. Second, to show us our need of the gospel every day. Finally, I want to present biblical truth that will help us navigate our boats in our own personal storms of life. So if you could turn in your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter one, this is also a long passage. So what we're going to do is we're going to compare these two events and we're going to see how they relate to one another. Jonah one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and helped and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he, he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So how are these two stories related? The Old Testament book of Jonah with the New Testament book of Mark. Can these two passages have a relationship with one another? But for that matter, how do the Old Testament and New Testament relate to one another? Early in my relationship with the Lord, this used to confuse me. I didn't really understand the relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament. I didn't really have an appreciation for the Old Testament. I like to stay in the New Testament Because the Old Testament seemed like a bunch of fragmented stories to me that didn't really have any bearing on my life. So I want to give an illustration about the dilemma I was in and perhaps maybe you find yourself in today. So we need to understand the purpose of the Bible in order to understand and appreciate it more. Matt? Does anyone know who this character is? Okay, who is it? Waldo. Everybody knows Waldo. It's a very funny and entertaining book. Where's Waldo? The object of the book is to find the character called Waldo, a very distinct looking character. But the illustrator of the book hides Waldo in very complex, intricate, and funny scenes. The problem is that many of the characters look similar to Waldo wearing clothes that are similar. To his. So it's very hard to find him. Now, suppose someone handed you a Waldo book without you knowing the purpose of the book. You might still find it funny, interesting, and entertaining, but you would not know the real purpose of the book, which is to find Waldo. And I think sometimes that's how we are with the Old Testament. It was not until I realized that Jesus and the gospel are the thread that runs all throughout the whole Old Testament. When you know that, when Christ and the gospel are central, you will have a much better understanding of the Bible, and you will see how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. It's just a little bit of foundational work we're doing here. So with the Old Testament, look for Jesus and the gospel, like you would look for Waldo in a Waldo book. We better change that, otherwise people are going to look for Waldo. Back to the... Yeah, there we go. You just can't help it. And also, we have to know that the Bible is one unified story. It is a progressively unfolding story of redemption initiated by God where Jesus is the hero. I'll repeat that. The Bible is one unified story. It is a progressively unfolding story of redemption initiated by God where Jesus is the hero. It's a rescue story 
where God brings his rebellious, sinful creation like us back into a beautiful relationship with himself. So you can also think of it like this. The Old Testament is the promise of a coming Savior, a coming Messiah. The New Testament is the fulfillment of that promise. You might want to know how I came to this conclusion or how you or how we know Jesus and the gospel in the Old Testament. Well, Jesus tells us in John 9:39 when he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, "You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life." And also in Luke 24:27, Jesus is speaking to two disciples on the road to uh, Emmaus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And those scriptures that Jesus used were all Old Testament. They, we didn't have the New Testament at that point. So I want to show you a couple of snapshots of Jesus and the gospel that we can see in the Old Testament. And every book in the Old Testament brings out some aspect of Jesus and his work and the, and, uh, the gospel. So we won't go into all those because that would be uh, weeks and weeks. Sometimes we see Christ-like figures in the Old Testament. Although they're flawed, uh, it's a snapshot, like a Melchizedek, uh, who was a priest and a king, uh, Moses, who led his people uh, to the Promised Land, Joshua, who led the people to conquer the Promised Land. Sometimes we see themes in the stories of the Old Testament, themes such as substitution, which is what Christ did for us on the cross. He is our substitute. We see Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice his son as God told him to do. But at the last moment, God provided a substitutionary lamb. And Jesus is often referred to as the lamb of God. We see how the Old Testament sacrificial system points to Christ's work, which again illustrates substitution. It also illustrates the death that death and shedding of blood are required for atonement, which is what Christ did for us on the cross. So at, we laid that foundation. I want to see you to see this morning that Jonah points to Jesus, and Jonah is a type of Jesus, and the book of Jonah points to the gospel, and we're going to see how that is. Uh, first, I want to look at some comparisons between the two stories. It, it, I found this very interesting when I was doing this study because there's, there's so many similarities uh, of the two uh, storm uh, episodes. Uh, both stores, stories take place in a boat during a violent storm. Both story, in both stories, the do, disciples and sailors believe they are going to perish. In both stories, Jonah and Jesus are asleep in the boat. Jonah is awakened by the sailors and Jesus is awakened by the disciples. Both the sailors and the disciples cry out in desperation. In both stories, they accuse both Jonah and Jesus of not caring. In both stories, Jesus and Jonah calm the storm. How Jonah by being thrown into the sea and Jesus by speaking to the storm, displaying his divinity, authority and power over the storm. In both stories, the sailors and disciples are left terrified. The sailors 
in Jonah are converted, I believe, repent and worship the one true God. And the disciples are left in fear and awe of Jesus. So not only are there many similarities in these two storm narratives uh, between Jonah and Jesus, but there are also some differences, uh, differences in scope and magnitude. In the book of Jonah, Jonah actually causes the storm by his disobedience. He ultimately, after some time, confesses his disobedience to the sailors somewhat reluctantly and decides to sacrifice himself for the lives of the sailors to save them from the storm and certain shipwreck that he caused his life for the life of the sailors. This is a picture of the gospel. Again, the good news that uh, of Jesus Christ, which would come later in history with Jesus sacrificing his life for others. Jesus, however, did not cause the storm by his disobedience. He was sinless and perfectly kept God's law. Jesus would make a much greater sacrifice than Jonah did, an infinitely greater sacrifice. His life for the life of others. This is a storm that Jesus did not come to stop. It's a storm he came to go through for us. This was God's plan before creation. He did not sacrifice himself for a mere storm to save us from drowning, but from a far greater peril. He saved us from the just wrath and judgment of a holy God for our sin and rebellion against him. Not by being thrown into the sea, but by being thrown into the storm of God's divine wrath, dying on a cross, facing the punishment we all deserve. You can see at the cross both God's justice and mercy. Many times we have a hard time reconciling God's justice with his mercy. But at Calvary, at the cross, we see an example of both God's justice and mercy meeting at the cross. Justice because God doesn't simply overlook sin. It's paid for by Jesus, our substitute. And mercy because forgiveness is made available to all who would place their faith in Christ's substitutionary death. Grace is given to people who do not earn it or deserve it. Salvation is not achieved, it is received. Self-salvation and good works are useless and can never achieve salvation. Unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't run from God's call, but delighted to do God's will. Unlike Jonah, who really hated the Ninevites and was not motivated by love. Jesus was motivated by love to come to die on a cross for our sins. I like Psalm 48. It says, and I believe this is about Jesus. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. And in the book of Jonah, we even see a picture of the resurrection and Jesus taught that in Matthew 12:40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here we see Jesus' glorious resurrection, conquering sin and death, and proving all that he said was true. So we see a real picture here of, of Jesus, and Jesus even points to it. So if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
There are there is some bad news. There is a storm coming. The storm of God's just wrath is coming for every man, woman and child. Know today that there is a way out by placing your faith in Jesus. You won't ever have to face the storm of God's wrath and judgment. And if you don't know about that wonderful savior, I'd be happy to stay and talk with you or the elders about Jesus and what he's done for you. If you are here today and you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you know that we still face storms, don't we? Storms can make us anxious, discouraged, and even angry with God. But always remember, no storm that we face can ever really hurt us since Jesus has faced the ultimate storm for us. But we must still face storms in this life. Jesus told us that clearly. In the world you have trouble. But but he also says, I have overcome the world. The storm of trouble, trials, tribulations, sufferings, disappointments. We all still struggle and we all still suffer. What are some of the storms of life that we face? Well, this is just a snapshot because there are many. Sometimes we face the storms of loneliness, health issues and sickness, cancer, broken relationships, financial difficulties, lack of employment, underemployment, Persecution at work, persecution at school, death of a loved one, singleness when you want to be married, barrenness when you desperately want a child, grief over a loved one or family member addicted to drugs or alcohol, grief over a prodigal child. Some storms are unique to us personally and some the whole world suffers together like COVID-19. Why do these storms come in our life? Ultimately, storms are a natural consequence of sin, the fall. The curse of sin has affected the whole world we live in. So there's not only literal storms, earthquakes, famines, diseases and sicknesses. And every man, woman and child are broken and tainted by sin. So we bring many of the storms upon ourselves, don't we? I know I do. Many of our storms come upon us due to the sins of others. Just like Jonah brought the literal storm upon the sailors for running away from God's call upon him. And we also have an enemy, Satan, who seeks to kill and destroy. And there's probably a more. But God uses storms in our lives. How does God use the storms in our lives? Number one. Ultimately, most of us come to salvation through storms or a particular storm that God used to wake us up to the reality of the biggest storm, which is his judgment. So storms can be good and God uses them. Many times God uses a lesser storm to save us from the biggest storm of his wrath and judgment. Perhaps God used the storm to bring you to himself. Number two, God sovereignly uses storms in our lives to make us dependent on him. There are things we just won't learn or ways we will not grow without storms in our lives. But he knows just the right amount of trial 
we need to, to grow. But he also always mixes those trials with his mercy and grace. And this dependence on him brings him glory and serves as a witness to the world as we trust him as we go through storms that other people go through, non-believers go through. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 to 9 and 16 to 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. What we see oftentimes is our trials and our troubles and our discouragement. But what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, all these trials, all these troubles are temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. And that's God's love. That's God's kingdom. That's his promises. Number three, God uses storms in our lives to sanctify us, to wake us up to real dangers we will not see without the storms. Dangers like self-sufficiency, pride, blindness to our sin. God uses these storms in our lives to shape and mold us into the image of his beloved son. And remember, Jesus saves us and forgives us not to just leave us in our sins until we get to heaven, but to make us holy like himself. And that's sanctification. And Romans 8, 28 reminds us that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So whatever comes into our lives, we know God has a good purpose. And that's to make us like Christ. In our storms, we must remember that God sovereignly uses them in our lives. He can work his good purposes through whatever storms that come into our lives. Even the ones we just can't see any good purpose or good in at all. And he even works through the storms we bring upon ourselves. But we are often like the disciples in the boat with Jesus when storms come. The disciples said to Jesus in Mark 4:38, "Teacher, don't you care about us?" When the storms of life come, we often think, "God, don't you care for me? Why are you letting this happen to me? You're not being good or loving to me." And we get discouraged. I know I do. I get disappointed sometimes with God. I I even get angry with God sometimes. I don't initially respond well to storms. I'd rather have comfort and ease many times, and I'd rather be in control of my life sometimes. But God speaks to us through his word to give us perspective on our storms. Because he was thrown into the storm for for you, you can be sure that there's love at the heart of whatever storm you are in now. So how can we deal with the storms that come into our lives? How can we prepare for the storms ahead of time? By remembering. We are prone to wander and drift. 
were prone to forgetfulness of the Lord and his truth in the gospel. So I want to give you six remembers to remember in life storms. Number one, remember who is in the boat with you. Remember the gospel and he who took the greatest storm for us and all other storms will not ultimately hurt us. Remember, God uses all lesser storms in our lives to shape and mold us for his glory and our good. Two, remember to stay in God's word. Knowing God's word helps us combat the lies we may be believing as we're going through a storm. Like a lie such as God doesn't care for me. God is not good. God has forgotten me. I shouldn't have any problems if I'm a Christian. We have to counsel our hearts with the truth of who God is and his love for us. And that's through knowing his word. Just a couple of verses I, I jotted down. There are many in Matthew 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Hebrews 12, 7 and 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 11:5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you And Isaiah 41:10 Do not fear for I am with you do not anxiously look about you for I am your God I will help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand Number 3 Remember to gather weekly to worship the one who took the storm for us. Gather. Gather by getting involved in a discipleship group and let God speak to you through your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's been invaluable for my life. It's sort of like hitting a reset button on the way I see life, the way I treat other people. Because God speaks to us through others as we grow together, he mediates his grace and his presence through other believers. Because other believers have the Holy Spirit and we're the body of Christ. Number four, remember prayer. Talk to God and ask for wisdom when you're going through a storm. Enter the throne room of grace in time of need. Five, remember the Holy Spirit who is God with us. And in us, he's our helper. He's our comforter. We're not going it alone. And remember to keep an internal perspective. Number six. Again, second Corinthians 417 for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. They're light and momentary. We lose track of that sometimes that. We are here a short time that we're just passing through. This is not our best life now. 
We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be in his kingdom. I'll end with these words about another storm from Jesus. And that is, um, I forgot to write the chapter, but I think you'll, you'll recognize it. It's a parable Jesus told. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and its collapse was great. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the storms are coming. But Jesus tells us to build our lives on his words to obey him. And when the storms of life come, we will stand. He will make us stand in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. And he will bring us safely home. Let's pray. Lord, help us to remember your goodness and love towards us when the storms of life come. Help us to stay in your word and gather with your people. Help us to bathe ourselves in your truth so that we may not drift and so that the storms of life do not defeat us. Thank you for your glorious gospel. Thank you for facing the biggest storm of our lives and that you will safely bring us into your kingdom. In Jesus name. Amen.